My name is Brian Fannin. I serve as the Florence Campus Pastor. And if you are visiting today, we're grateful that you're here. And I also want to say Happy Mother's Day and compel you, call your mom, right? Or go see her if you can. My mom has been gone since I was 16. Uh, And I am grateful that I can still hear her voice in my head, except when she's saying Brian Scott, all right? When she's calling my first and middle. So call her, go see her. John chapter 11, I do hope today this message speaks to moms, but this message is not for moms alone. It's not patterned that way. It's not intended that way. It's for all of us. The book that we are going to look at is like no other in that John, one of the four Gospels, it doesn't approach the life of Jesus the same way as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is the most theological of the Gospels. In fact, if you remember, if you're familiar with the Bible, it's okay if you're not, but John 1 starts with, you know, a word like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Where the other Gospels start much different, really, about the life of Jesus, maybe his genealogy, but John starts theologically about the life of Jesus. In fact, all of John is much like that. Where the other gospels talk to, speak to parables and miracles, John talks about signs. You know what signs are, like this way, that way? These signs point to who is this Jesus? What is he actually like? And who is he ultimately You and I, if we have a casual encounter with Jesus, by any cursory reading of what you read of him, it may lead you to conclude some admirable things about Christ, but it never impacts really how you live. Meaning how you parent, God wants how you see Jesus to impact how you parent. How you view disappointment as it surely comes, how you face life-shattering pain, Emotional pain, physical pain, pain of loss, how you process death. God's word in John is intended to point you in the right direction. And John 11 is that place. Whenever you're reading any book, but especially this book, it moves up, it hits a high point, and then it moves off. John 11 is the high point. For this gospel. It is the pinnacle. So if you want to see what matters in John, John 11 is that place. So if with the word in your hand, follow along with me. We're going to look at the first 26 verses, but the rest of the chapter as well. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was, was ill. Now, so it's interesting here. Let me just stop, look here just for a second. John refers to Mary who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. That's not happened yet. It happens in chapter 12. 
Meaning this, John knew these people who read this were already familiar with what Jesus had actually done. And the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the oral traditions that were passed down, they knew Miss Mary and Martha, these are people, and Lazarus, really close to, to Jesus. Okay? Verse 3, so the, so the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in that place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Lord, or Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? And if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Let me tell you the modern version. Uh, Jesus, if he's asleep, he's going to wake up. But Jesus is showing us here something about Lazarus' death that you and I need to see. That it is he that will awaken those that die. Then in verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, because they weren't getting it, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, doubting Thomas, called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha, or Martha and Mary, to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, and Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. So let me explain something to you. Martha, nor Mary, nor anybody else in the room or around this scene has any idea what Jesus is going to do. And Martha is not saying, I know you're going to raise my brother from the dead. The way that it's constructed, she's just basically saying, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. But I know you're a prophet of God. And I know that God is still going to use you. That's what, that's what that means. Notice what happens. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, there's many things to see here. And we're going to look on further down in this text of what actually happens. But at first glance, I want you to understand, we see the cursory players, but there's so much more. So much more for you, many years later, looking back, that has layer upon layer of depth for application for us. How we grow up in our faith. How our faith is matured and brought along by God as God shows us who Jesus actually is. And some of you are here today, you're not real sure about who Jesus actually is. You have thought about it, but no decisive conclusions. You've just batted it around. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for years. And your faith, you would call it maybe a mature faith. And maybe it is. But it also could be that God wants to come along today and poke you and mature you and grow up your faith. Your faith should grow and it can grow when you see the Jesus of John 11. There's so much more. So I want to show you today just some things from this passage about what you and I need to happen in order to grow. First, you and I need crisis or crises, plural, where God does not give you what you want. We like God to give us what we want. And it's by no mistake that verses 5 and verse 6, it's not a small matter that verse 5 and verse 6 actually seem to be in conflict Because these are people that Jesus knows, and the Scripture shows us here that Jesus loves them. But these two verses seem to be head-to-head in conflict. Look with me again. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. Do you see that? When they sent for him, it was an urgent matter. The call went out, but Jesus stayed right where he was. He did not do what they wanted him to do. He knew what they they did not. He understood what they could not. And he intended to do what they did not expect. So the delay, the delay of answer, the delay of your cries sometimes where you say, where is God? There are reasons sometimes that we just don't understand until God confronts us and challenges us about where we are and what we believe. See, we love to ask God regularly For what matters to us. Let's just be honest. We like life easier for us. I like life easy. And when I look at the study of regular man in modern society, we are constantly in pursuit of what I call, and I'm putting myself in this category, my my little three, my, my little three trinity. 
I'm after ease, I'm after comfort, and I'm after pleasure. I love those. Ease, comfort, pleasure. That's what we like. And when things go awry, we want to immediately do all that we can to make sure that our ease, our comfort, and our pleasure is not interrupted for very long. So we cry out. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, God wants you to move beyond a casual understanding of what life is, what it should deliver, and to see who he is in Jesus in those moments. And as, as I say, there's more happening in this passage than what Mary and Martha are about to face, what they're about to witness. There's more than them getting what they want. We see the disciples also in this passage facing the reality that Jesus will sometimes expose them. In fact, if you, if you read there again, the disciples say, well, let's not go back over there. Bethany's a dangerous place. There's people there that want to stone us. Stone you. Why go there? So Jesus has a plain conversation with them and says, Lazarus is dead. And then he has a kicker. He says, I'm glad that I was not there. And then Thomas speaks up. You see that there again in verse 16. Thomas called the twin. Doubting Thomas. I'm sorry. I don't want to. I'm just going to share you one of the struggles that I have. Every time I see this verse right here, I picture Thomas like Eeyore. You know Eeyore? Uh, Let's go. We'll just die there with him. Some of you know what it's like to be Eeyore. You feel like Eeyore. But notice also this as we dig down below. Even if you're like Eeyore. Even if you're the disciple like Eeyore. Like Thomas. Guess what Thomas says. Where you go Jesus, that is the best place for me to be. So he says let's go. Where God leads, that's where you want to be. You want to be smack where Jesus leads you regardless of what you have to face. But Jesus reveals here something very clearly when he says, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. And then we see it again down in verse, uh, we see it in verse 15, but we see it on down below as well. A little further along, this was about moving them along from what they have known about Jesus so that they could believe. Some of you are in that place where your belief is just about an inch deep. Yeah, you believe, you acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of God. Oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus died on a cross, but it is not impacting how you live. But what Jesus shows us here in this passage is he wants to move you along from where you are and grow you up in an understanding that he is sufficient for whatever, whatever, whenever 
the heartache that you face. So God wants to move us beyond our limited understanding of God's nature. And it needs to be challenged. Your understanding needs to be exposed as you face life's ultimate questions. The reason why I say this is that when we talk about God, we like to talk about Him in terms of language that is not like us. Now think about that for a second. I know what an egg is. I call them pre-birds, you know that. Because I don't eat them very often. I understand what an egg is. But when I talk about God, I talk about Him in terms that's not like me. You ever notice that? We say things like he's unlimited. I woke up this morning immediately knowing that I was limited. Just a walk to the bathroom is all it took. We talk about him being perfect. My guess is most of us know that we're not perfect. We talk about God using in this church, a word that we come back to regularly, that God is sovereign and the goodness of God is wrapped up in his sovereign control. And none of us know what it's like to truly be sovereign. We don't understand that. Furthermore, theology books discuss God's nature in terms of what he's not. They say that he's immortal. I'm mortal. He's invisible. I'm visible. He's infinite. And for the finite mind, we like to draw conclusions. In fact, we draw conclusions all the time about God and how God works. Now, I want to to just show you this. Turn back two chapters to chapter 9. John wants us to see how we do this. John chapter 9 begins with the previous miracle, the healing of a blind man. And in chapter 9, it begins that as he, talking about Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man born blind from birth. Now notice this, verse 2, and the disciples, who are the disciples? These are the guys that are following Jesus the closest. And they have some ideas about how God works. So they voice it to Jesus in the form of a question. Here it is. Rabbi, who sinned that this man, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you hear, can you overhear it? They had concluded that they understood how God works. And how God works is this. If bad things are happening to you or to somebody, somebody is at fault. Somebody has done something wrong. Somebody is bad. And that's the way we treat God. Notice what Jesus does as he instructs them here. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We have this linear thought that that pretty much occupies our life. We're constantly asking, why did God allow this? Why did God do this? Why did not God stop this? Why, 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 why? Meanwhile, 
never understanding that our linear thought may lead us astray. Sometimes it gets us to the right spot. Many times we're way off base. Jesus shows us here in chapter 9 and in chapter 11 so that the works of God might be displayed. One of the things that happens to us as we walk along in our faith is God's goodness gets clouded when bad things happen. And in fact, if you look at chapter 9 further down, it wasn't that everybody saw that miracle and said, oh my, that is the Son of God. In fact, there were a bunch of them. The only thing they did is just become a bunch of tattletales. They ran over to the Pharisees and said, do you know what Jesus did on the Sabbath? So preoccupied with the rules that they could not see the goodness of God in the healing of a blind man. Some of you are so tempted to believe that the nature of God is about rule-keeping that the moment you encounter something like this, you don't know quite what to do with it. And the moment that Jesus does not show up at, at your doorstep, when you call him, asking him for ease, comfort, and pleasure, that he doesn't deliver, you go down the doubting road. Our limited understanding of God's nature needs to get exposed. We need to understand more fully that the death of Lazarus brings to the very forefront the nature of God and why he came. And none of them in that moment really understood all that he is and what he was about to do. We miss out on what he's like. What is he like? What is God like? What does he want? God in a word, according to Philip Yancey, God is in a word, Christ-like. Jesus presents to us a God with skin on whom we can take or leave, love or ignore. And in chapter 11, we see the God-man, truly God, fully man, but we have yet to see all that he is and all that he has come to do as we walk through the story. Only in the death of Lazarus, only in the relating it to the disciples, only in them understanding those that were closest to him, who he actually is, what he has come to do for you and for me. You and I need to grow up. We need to understand more fully that Jesus has come for you for more than just ease, comfort, and pleasure. Or to be giving you a nice little example. Your view of God, the nature of Jesus, likely needs a little loving confrontation. George Buttrick, he was a former chaplain at Harvard University. Buttrick said that students all the time would come into his office and they'd just plop down and they'd say, I don't believe in God. Buttrick said it was so funny, he said often, he said, as if that would shock him. Buttrick would reply in his disarming way. He would say, please sit down and tell me what kind of God you do not believe in. 
I probably don't believe in him either. And then Buttrick would do something that they did not expect. He would take them and he would point them to Jesus. Who corrects all of our assumptions about God. And in John chapter 11, both Mary and Martha, those that are viewed closest to Jesus, they need some correction. Look at verses 21 on down. Let me explain. Martha, in verse 21... She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, in her eyes at this moment, Jesus is preventive message, uh, medicine. Jesus is preventive message. Can I say that again? Can you say medicine with me? All right, good. Jesus is not intended to be treated That this is all that he is. That he's this miracle worker preventing heartache from coming to your life. But she says that to him. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Now look down in verse 32. Mary, the sister, comes out. When she saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Two sisters, same words, exactly. Limited understanding of the nature of who Jesus actually is. But when we look at him, we we, we, we come to understand that there is so much more that helps us grow up in our faith from moving off from an easy belief That God is a God that asks for no commitment. Some of you may be in that place. You believe in a God that asks you no commitment. Just believe. Believe, believe, believe. Just believe something. Whatever you believe, just believe. Just believe. And you think that's the essence of faith. And I challenge you that John chapter 11 is not that. It is so much more. It is, it is the place where when you are at your lowest, when you lose loved ones, when you lose your dreams, when you face rejection, when your children are adrift, when they're rebellious, or you lose other things that fail us, then ultimately fail us. When you lose your body strength, when you lose your job, and some of you maybe even know what it's like to work your whole life and you lost your pension. Does easy believism address that? No, it does not. But John 11 addresses that. When Martha looks at Jesus and says, you could have prevented this, Jesus lovingly confronts her with his true nature. Look with me, because I don't want you to miss this. Jesus says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you, O church, do you, yes, you, do you believe this? Do you? When you face the deepest moments of unparalleled loss in your life, You are presented with options for better or worse. Life, as it hits you, easy believism will not deliver you. So God leads us so that we can grow. And to understand, you can substantially grow as you face disappointment and loss. And as you sit here this morning... I know some of you are facing loss on a scale that you've not known previously. So I ask all of us, what does your history, what does my history, what does our history tell us about how we process disappointment and loss? Has your humility grown as you discovered that life is not yours to control? Maybe you're like me. Will you allow me to be transparent for years, even as I called myself a follower of Christ, when God did not give me what I wanted when I wanted it, I railed against the unfairness of it. Have you ever considered, let's just be just logic for a second. What did you have to do with getting here? Nothing. No one, you didn't plan your arrival, you're just here, thanks to mom. But somehow, somewhere along the way, we draw a conclusion, I ought to be able to control life. And when life doesn't go my way, I pattern it to get it the way I want it. And if it's not, life is unfair. God is unfair. Those people are unfair. The man's against me. And you may never be like that. But you kind of are. When life doesn't deliver what you want. God does not want you to be held captive to this. He wants you to see that he comes to give you more. And when you face loss or pain... Your faith is not going to remain stationary. It's going to move. You're either going to get harder or you're going to get more tender. I've watched some of you face loss and pain. I've watched you grow. You've become more tender. You, 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 you came to trust the giver of life. You, stay, you started acting thanks to the grace of God like I did. That God just gave me life, and I don't own it. I started acting like the creation, not the creator. And God wants to move you off acting like the creator. And seeing him for all that he is. And when Jesus speaks to Martha, we get a glimpse. We get a glimpse Verse 26, 
He asked that question. He asked that question that's called the question that one author said is the question for the canyon's edge. It's the question as you stare into the abyss, as you look into the face of loss and darkness that you do not know what to do with. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? I know in a room this size, there are individuals who sit here this morning that you feel like the walking dead. Life has not delivered what you want. You've known rejection on a scale that you've never anticipated. Some of your dreams are nothing more than shattered glass in your hands. And you wonder, does God have anything to say? Yes, right at this moment, Jesus comes, speaks into your life, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in him, in in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he that believes in me shall never die. Meaning that you're never going, Christian, you are never going to have a conscience moment where Christ has abandoned you for an instant. The presence of Jesus in your life, the life-giving presence of Jesus in your life is sufficient. It is the resurrection and the life. And God stands ready to speak into your life today and call you out to himself to see so much more than what you may have seen previously. Jesus is the giver of life even in the face of death. Death. There's a, that debt. That debt that we all must pay is death. And it's right here that Jesus shows us that he is able to give life even in the face of death. I've always loved how Jesus, when he shows up at a scene like this, he does what we don't expect. I want you to see something that's, that's very important for all of us as Christians to understand. Down in verse 32 and following, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell to his feet. She said the same thing that her sister said. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. All again, preventive medicine. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews would come with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Then down in verse 38, it says, Jesus was deeply moved again and came to the tomb. Deeply moved, troubled. Jesus just said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. What is he claiming to be in that moment? He is claiming to be who? He's claiming to be God. But notice with me in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible. What is the God-man doing? He's weeping. Jesus wept. 
He's deeply troubled. And frankly, the Greek tells us much better what this is all about. Jesus being troubled and deeply moved, he is showing us that Jesus actually is angry. Who is Jesus angry at? Is he angry at Martha? Is he angry at Mary? Who is he angry at? Our view of God is often so limited. We don't understand that God comes in skin to us, speaks to us, cries with us. And he's angry. He's not angry at you. He's angry at what sin and death does to all of us. Your life and my life can be transformed by seeing the glory of God instead of our perceptions of happiness, what it brings. Jesus came in verses 4 and 40. He tells us he came to display the glory of God. He came to give life. And as many believed in him, that's in verse 45, after Jesus calls Lazarus from the grave... And down in verse 45, the Bible says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. This is John's favorite expression, believed in him. That's what you need. That's what I need, is to come to faith in who Jesus actually is. That he is the giver of life. He is both, yes, Jesus is decisive as he calls Lazarus from the grave. You'll notice the language. When Jesus speaks, they roll the stone back. Jesus speaks to the grave. He says, Lazarus, come out. I heard a country preacher once say that Jesus was decisive and directive because if he had just said, come out, everything that would have ever died would have just come out. But he identified him by name as he will identify you by name. Jesus comes to display the glory of God about who he really is. That he came to defeat your ultimate enemy, sin and death. But don't miss it. I hope you don't miss what this passage really tells us about Jesus. He does in love for us and for Lazarus what must be done. Look with me down in verse 53. Just look at this. From that day on, they, meaning the Jews that opposed Jesus... From that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus giving life to Lazarus and pulling him from the grave put Jesus in the grave. And that is the gospel. Calling you forth to life, to eternal life. That he is the resurrection and the life. That he's come to breathe life into your life. To give you meaning and purpose and hope in the presence of him in your life. That put 
him in the grave. On the cross, in the grave, just as it did for Lazarus. There's a call to more. There's a call for you to believe. There's a call for you to be changed. Jesus doing battle with death, showing us truly who he is, that he came to give you life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I must ask you the same question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? Do you? For in it is eternal life. In it is the change from where you are to what only God can do in your life. Let's stand together this morning. I pray that God would lead you to choose belief, faith, and move from dead end lives to a life knowing the glory of His resurrection for you.